1: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. His mid-wicket's in. He's bowling to Muhammad Nabi. Slices away, and that is victory. It goes to the boundary. A brilliant run chase here. Daniel Christian, Mohamed Nabi, what a partnership, 94 of 49 deliveries, and the Strikers, they have their winning streak at home broken, the Renegades win by five wickets. Hello everyone and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. I'm your host Andrew Menzel, aka Manners, and in this episode of the podcast we have a, a big bash update and a super coach update. So to help me with the Big Bash, I have the Herald Sun's crack Big Bash reporter on the line, Sam Landsberger. Sam, welcome back to the podcast. I haven't spoken to you since last summer, but how are you?
0: Uh, Pleasure to be back. Going well. Not the brightest start to the Big Bash summer, but hopefully we get a little bit more action and excitement in January.
1: Absolutely. And and it's a long uh, season of Big Bash cricket, so there's plenty of games to come, but at the moment, there's, you're in Melbourne, and a lot of the um, news is around what's happening at the MCG in the Test match and the interviews that Cameron Bancroft and Steve Smith did on the first day. Now, uh, well, I guess, what, what was your reaction to what Cameron Bancroft had to say?
0: Oh, look, I think there was nothing new in it. The only new element was that it was in his voice. I mean, we'd all read the Cricket Australia report in March that basically painted David Warner as the architect. But now we've got one of the trios on the record saying, yeah, look, it was his idea. Um, I felt pressured into doing it. I think that the line which resonated was that he would have gone to bed quite uncomfortable if he'd said no, because he would have felt like he'd let the team down. And I think that really does quite vividly paint the culture of uh, a team culture which has gone quite rotten. For, for him to feel at 25 years of age and with a lot of first class cricket experience to his name for him to, to still not be able to recognise right from wrong in that situation I think he's uh, paints a pretty dire picture of Australian cricket in South Africa And look, I'm sure there's more to play out. I can't wait to hear David Warner
1: speak. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to hear Warner speak. But it's an interesting point you make about what Cameron Bancroft said. And it struck me when he said that if he had said no to Warner, he felt like he would have let the team down. And it would have been the same sort of feeling that he had doing the ball tampering. And I don't know how much of that is sort of accurate or just misreading of the situation by Cameron Bancroft, because you know, you're know you not letting your team down if you lose a match because you're outplayed, whereas you let your team down if you start cheating. So, I don't know, I think he sort of got that wrong.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point you make. And I, I think the inaction by Cameron to go to someone senior, you know, go, go speak to Steve, Steve Miss Smith, go speak to the coach and Darren Lamb. I think you know, to just take it on in privacy uh, is a really poor reflection on him. Uh, look, Steve Smith is really interesting. This really disappointed that he just walked past the whole situation. Probably had the chance to a few that didn't. We all know that by now, but you wonder how bright he was mentally. I think we just come off a, uh, a big action series. You know, he, he was out of form with the bat in the one days after that tournament. He goes to South Africa for another big series, another four-match uh, test series, which was clearly quite heated. We saw David Warner and Faf go at each other in the, uh, in, in the you know, out, just outside the change rooms and, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a real hostile series and by that stage, you just wonder how bright he was but, look, look you've got the captain that didn't do anything, you've got the vice-captain that pressured the kid and the kid who didn't have the, the backbone to say no. Uh, it really is an indictment on all three and, look, Cameron will be welcomed back in on Sunday against Uh, the Hobart Hurricanes when he plays for Perth. It's going to be really interesting to see how the other two transition back into the Australian cricket frame.
1: With Bancroft, you know, he was asked whether he thought, you know, his his penalty was quite harsh when you consider what happens to ball tamperers in other teams around the world. And he sort of said, well, he feels, yeah, it is a bit harsh. And I agree with him that although they didn't appeal, the the penalties handed out in Australia are much more severe than have been handed out worldwide. So he does have a right to feel slightly aggrieved.
0: Yeah, on that point, look, I think that some of the penalties that we speak about worldwide, they're probably ICC sanctions. This is the Cricket Australia sanction. So I think you're comparing apples with oranges a little bit there. I mean, this is CA. This is us saying that, right, oh, in Australia, we're going to hold our cricketers to really high regard, and, and, and they let us down. And so, you know, we're, we're going to go above and beyond what, what the world regulations are and, and put in place our own penalties. I don't mind that. I, I, I thought they were very reasonable and fair, given. I mean, you, you just have to look at the headlines, but this is still trading nine months on to to show that this didn't deserve a slap on the wrist. This needed something really heavy-handed because that's what we were dealing with.
1: Now, Steve Smith spoke to Adam Gilchrist and he said... Well, he was asked by Adam Gilchrist... Uh, when he sort of thinks things started to go wrong with the culture in the team and he pointed to something that's been well publicized when pat howard and james sutherland went into the dressing rooms after a hobart test match in 2016 when australia lost five in the trot and said you're not paid to play you're paid to win now i thought steve smith was probably told to bring this up to sort of deflect the attention but it didn't really take ownership of his problems like Steve Smith still let Warner get out of control let this stuff happen you know Steve Smith needs to wake up to himself and realize he let the team down with his leadership despite the fact that we can find reasons for it he did let the team down and you can say Howard and Sutherland said that two years ago but doesn't really affect that moment's decision.
0: No, I think you're right. Oh, I think we need a bit of context around that as well. I mean, how uncommon is it for for, for Pat and James to speak to the players like that? Probably is, but, you know, he said we paid a... To win, he didn't say we pay you to cheat. I mean, that's, I think there's, there's a, a little bit of a stretch being made there. I'm really interested in, in the leadership positions coming up. David Warner is about to fly to Bangladesh. I believe he's going to captain the, the the Bangladesh Sixers in the, in the Bangladesh Premier League. I'm not sure that's a great look either at this stage, as this is flying up back home here. For him to go overseas and actually captain a a T20 cricket team, you know, in a a professional league, Uh, uh, really interesting move. I know Stendit Lamashanya, the the Melbourne Star, Nepalese spinner, he'll be playing under Warner in that tournament. Just a a really interesting time for for David Warner, how he reacts. I mean, he could take the broom to everyone in Australian cricket. That would probably ostracise him for for life. He's going to have to speak at some stage, you know, whether it's here or over there. I think that we are all just hanging on that next word and, and where he takes this story.
1: Yeah, I hope he just takes it on the chin, Warner, and says, you know, he was under a lot of stress, and he he cracked, and, you know, he's sorry, and and we can sort of, that will be the only way of sort of putting it behind us. But I don't have a problem with Warner captaining this Bangladesh team, uh, this Bangladesh uh, T20 side in their league, because the sanctions in Australia don't apply to other leagues, and... He's proven to be a good T20 captain in the past. In fact, a couple of weeks before he uh, took the sandpaper onto the field or gave it to Bancroft, he was captain of our T20 side. So I don't think it's a big problem.
0: I think he might have led us to number one in the world. We won five in a row. So, exactly. Uh, so there's no doubt in his credentials, but uh, geez, uh, oh, yeah. from an image point of view, it doesn't sit right with me. But uh, yeah, I, do uh, I do appreciate your point that he, he certainly is. He certainly does have the skills, you know, from from a tactical point of view. But yeah, it's just an image problem to me. But I can certainly see your point.
1: Being very polite, Sam. And uh, now I'm going to start <laughs> to um talk about the MCG. Well, let's start with the crowd. The crowd on Boxing Day were booing Mitch Marsh because the Victorian crowd weren't happy that Pete Hanscom had been dropped. It's not a a great look when a home player gets booed. Sort of, what's the feeling in? It's hard for you to speak, but what's your reading of the feeling in around Mitch Marsh's selection?
0: Oh, look, I think there's probably. I, I wouldn't just confine it to Victoria. I think there is. Uh, I think for for a long time there's probably been a, a level of uncertainty in Australian cricket fans as to you know the, the number of opportunities the Marsh brothers get. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not too sure. But I think the crowd on Boxing Day will you know turn it up. You, you should be booing the selectors. Mitch Marsh doesn't pick the team good on him he he got his chance you know there was probably a few spells added on because the Victorians you go out of the team there's probably a a few other factors at play there there's probably the fact that most most of the 73,000 started drinking at 10am and there's probably a (laughs) A whole not not a whole lot of action on the field, so they were probably a little bit bored by the cricket. So, uh, look, it wasn't a great look, but probably not a, a major issue in the game. I would say at the same time. Yeah,
1: the, the stat that stands out for me about Mitch Marsh is that he's got the lowest average of any top six batsman after a certain amount of tests mm. in the history of Test cricket. Now, that's just not a great uh, stat to have floating around before you get recalled into the team. Mm.
0: Well, I just... The one. The element which surprised me was I can understand why Pete went out. You know, he has been out of form. He's... His unorthodox technique has come under fire yet again. But, I mean, Mitch Marsh, I don't think he scored over 40 runs in quite some time in in first-class cricket or or probably cricket at any level. So, you know, is he the right man to come in? Was he the form player? That was a question for me. However, at the same time, in previous Test matches he's played in, we've picked him as the all-rounder and he's bowled a really minimal amount of overs. Really enjoyed seeing Tim Payne throwing the ball quite off, uh, quite a lot yesterday. I think he sent down, what, 15 overs for the day. Mm. Uh, I thought that was great. If we're going to pit this bloke as an all-rounder, and if we're going to dump Pete Anson because he's not an all-rounder, yeah, give him a bowl because that is why he's in there for, for, for two skill sets. Let's see if he can take a wicket. So he didn't get one yesterday. He bowled really tight, but at least we actually utilize why he's in the team. And that's for that all-round status.
1: And we needed another bowling option on that very flat MCG wicket. And I guess that's what we should talk about now before we get into the big bash. It it looks like the MCG wicket's going to be similar to last year's in the Ashes where it's a bit flat, not a lot of bounce, not made for exciting cricket. And I know there's talk that they're going to completely restructure the way the drop-in pitches are sort of framed. I guess literally framed, like they're in a frame, and they're going to change the shape. And I can't come quick enough.
0: uh look, look it's a massive issue. We sort of put this on the on the on the agenda in the Herald Sun last week. We uh, we spoke to Glenn Maxwell and Ashton Turner, who played in that really dull Sheffield Shield draw at the MCG about ten days before Boxing Day, and look, look both batsmen agreed. You know, there was nothing in it for the bowlers. It actually got flatter and flatter. I think Ashton Turner faced 145 balls on day four and said it was easier to bat on them than day one. Uh, the MCG curator, Matt Page, who's joining this year from the WACA, he, you know, he responded to that. He said, listen, don't don't be alarmed by that result. This pitch will play like the, the Sheffield Shield match against South Australia a few weeks earlier, which would have had a result if not for rain on day four. But my goodness, uh, boxing, they certainly didn't have much life. In it. you know, really slow and, you know, it was like a pudding. Oh. Massive problem for, for Melbourne cricket. I mean, if this petered out into a, a boring draw similar to the Ashes last year, when you know Alex to cook out of for ten hours, and you know we barely got out of the second innings, and it was I think it was mercifully ended as a draw just after tea on day five. If if that replicates here, um, and you know we've absolutely cooked our bowlers, you know bowling in 36 degree heat for two or three days, and we go into Sydney one all with our bowlers fried and a really boring test match which has drained momentum out of the series. I think that's a, a, a really dangerous spot. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen and, and it can really liven up on, on days two and three. Yeah, I agree.
1: And they, they need to do, they change the basket that the drop-ins are mm. kept in and, and maybe copy what they're doing in Perth because they were good wickets.
0: Now, John Hastings, a uh, Victorian grade, sort of said last week that wanted to, to throw out the cake mix. So all the MCG wickets are basically prepared in the same Yarra Park precinct. He said, throughout the cake, mix just start again so it'll be really interesting to see if i do go down that path next year but yeah you bang on something that's changing very quickly
1: all right now let's get into the big bash but before we do that i just want to read out a review that i got on itunes or the, the podcast got on itunes last week and the title is victoria bashing I am sick of you Victorian bashing. Your bias is terrible. I listened until you repeatedly carry on about how you are are happy about Victorian sides losing or failing. No more. I am unsubscribing to this podcast, Bowlology. Here I come. So that was left on iTunes. So, Sammy, I pointed out on our preview of the Big Bash a couple of times, and this person obviously doesn't have a sense of humour, that no Melbourne team has won the Big Bash.
0: Yeah, it's a damning stat, isn't it? But well, uh, Renegades two zip. Hold hold your horses on that one. I think uh, I think I might be trying to get on red.
1: <laughs> so, but but yeah. with the with the fact that the Stars and Renegades have never won the Big Bash, it is two teams that you would think would be always, you know, vying for the title.
0: I think the two teams is probably the, the, the key note. If there was one team I think that Victoria would have won at just about every year. <laughs> uh, in fact, well, you, you go back to, to the old state league competition when it was, you know, the Bush Rangers against the Bulls and the Blues and the Warriors. I think Victoria won four out of five. Well, I think cutting the, the stage into two really did harm the chances. You know, you, you're splitting up, but you're basically splitting up the shield players. and you know it's franchise cricket and you can go anywhere. But if you if you look around the, the the team squads, most most players do stay home, and so you, you, you're effectively splitting up the shield squad. You, you uh, you're effectively splitting up all your all your resources, all your facilities. I think Sydney has the same problem. I don't know the Sixers got an earlier one, and the Thunder probably uh fluke one on the back of Mike Custy That's and Jack Carlos, Milton Kawaja. I agree with that. They had that one. Really golden run, but I think it really is a lot harder for the for the for the dual city teams, and that is the the two Melbourne and the two Sydney teams. I think you know Brisbane, Perth, Hobart, uh, Adelaide, they do have it a lot easier. It's a lot easier to to, to contract players. I, I think there's a lot of disadvantages being in a in a two team town, and that's why Melbourne and to a lesser extent Sydney have struggled in the uh, in the in the franchise tournament.
1: Yeah, I agree. And just on that review, I am. I did tell you last summer I am being nice at the Victorian, so I think this person just heard the wrong few minutes of the podcast because I'm... have been trying. (laughs) Uh, All right, so let's get into the Big Bash. The Sydney Thunder and the Melbourne Renegades and the Hobart Hurricanes have all won their first two games. So they're off to good starts. Now, I heard you on the radio before the Big Bash saying that you didn't think either Melbourne or Sydney team would make the finals. Do you still think that?
0: Oh, look, I I think it's going to be a long season for the Stars. They did tell at the moment they play Sydney tonight, obviously. I think they'll probably lose, you know, maybe Glenn Maxwell, maybe Marcus Thornis, maybe Adam Zamper to throw the eye duties in January. I can't see them making the top four this year. Uh, the Renegades I didn't have in at the start of the season, but my goodness, uh, they've got a really look, their, their attack is like a box of Cabrera favourites. There's just great variety in there. Um, they're obviously missing a lot of firepower at the top with Aaron Finch and Marcus Harris in baggy greens, but you know, they might get them back at some stage. Uh, I think that they are really the wild card this year. They could certainly sneak in.
1: Do you think it's the Shinwari? is one of their key signings, is proving to be a good player.
0: Yeah, he's been magnificent in the first two games. He's only a little man. He looks like a spinner, but then he charges in, left-arm fast bowler. Um, They do lose him after, I think, seven games. Then they get uh, Harry Gurney, the Englishman, who, unlike last year when they replaced Mohamed Nabi with Kyron Pollard, they're replacing a similar skill set here, so, so Harry's are also a left-arm quick. So hopefully that won't upset their, their team balance just as much as it did last year. But yeah, I, I think they're really exciting. Oh, I can't wait to see how deep they go in the competition. Uh, I, yeah, I think they're the wildcard for me.
1: Oh, so you you're backing the Renegades now? Good to see. <laughs> what do you think of Maxwell being made star skipper?
0: Yeah, I, I think it was a, a it was a great acknowledgement of a player that's really matured over the last three, four, five years at the Melbourne Stars. Captain King's eleven in the in the Indian Premier League two or three years ago. I know he struggled a little bit there with the language barriers. He had players that sort were of, speaking different languages and he couldn't quite communicate to everyone on the team. He obviously won't have that problem at the moment. I think it's a it's a, it's a real tick that he's maturing as a cricketer, uh, and I think he'll uh, I think he'll do a really good job.
1: Yeah, I think with the two Sydney teams, the Thunder and the Sixers, they both look okay. But I'm worried about when well the Thunder lose Root and Butler. And the Sixers lose Joe Denley. I think they're, they're, those three players across the two sides are going to be hard to replace.
0: Yeah, and know the Thunder. Uh, in Anton, the, the the Kiwi replacement they have for Joe Root, I think they've got really high hopes for him. He's, he's sort of an unknown, and we don't know a lot about him. He's, he's not a draw card, but his record in T20 tournaments all over the world is. Is really strong. So they think they've got a, a little bit of a hidden talent stacked away for, for when Root does depart. He's obviously not in the same class as a player of Joe Root, but if they can get enough wins on the board early to stay in finals contention, uh, who knows? As for the Sixers, yeah, I, I think they there might be a one or two matches when they're short to, to really give it a, a a good shake this year.
1: Now what have you made of the Perth Scorchers' start to the summer? They lost the first two but won their third game. Do you think they have a good squad?
0: Yeah, look, they're, they're the ten be for me, I was never. I, I wasn't really worried when they went zero and two. <laughs> they, they... They batted horribly against the Melbourne Renegades at, at Melbourne Stadium. You know, they played a lot of cross-bat shots when they should have played straight on that wicket. Sydney Sixers game, yeah. So I think we might look back on that result later in the tournament. As, you know, one of the real outliers. Um, I think we saw last night what a class bowling unit they are. They've, they've, they're clearly the, the, deepest, the, the, the deepest squad in it. That fast bowling attack is just sensational. They get Cameron Bancroft back in their next game. Um, They might get Sean Marsh back after the Test Series. Yeah, they're the team to beat for mine.
1: Yeah, the other team, the Adelaide Strikers, the defending champions, I like the look of their bowling, but my worry with the Strikers is I'm not sure they have the power with the bat. Do you think that's a fair call?
0: Oh, look, there's, there's certainly a question mark there. There's certainly probably a, a little bit stronger on the bowling front. Oh, I'm not too concerned about their batting, though. No. I mean, I think, you know, Jake Weatherall will get going at some stage. Jake Lehman can hit a long ball. Alex Carey um, lit up game one. His last two games, he's been run out in sort of comical circumstances. You, you don't think that's going to keep happening. So, you know, if Carey can get a little bit more luck and, you know, start that middle order five. I think Colin Ingram's certainly got one or two big scores in him. Oh, I, I, I think they're... Right up there. In fact, I thought pre tournament there was a clear top two and that was Perth and Adelaide. They're both one and two after three games, but yeah, I, I still do think that they'll both be there when the whip's cracking.
1: What about the Hobart Hurricanes? I think they look good. They've got a good team that won't be affected by international selections and that they could be a little smoky here, Sammy.
0: Much like last year. Same formula as last year. I think there's a new coach, but same winning formula. You know, will, will they lose Darcy Short to the one day team? I'm not so sure. Even even so, they, they should get him back. I think he'll only miss two or three games. Yeah. Well, the, the key is that they, they really are unaffected by national selection. So, you know, unlike other teams who might have heart rate out of them for, for, for games here and there, and you know, it does take away a bit of consistency, they've got a really good squad. Again, I think they'll play finals again, and you know last year they it was the upset of the year when they beat Perth in that semi-final. It's the same competition this year, uh, only the three finals again. So if they sneak in. They're certainly a team which can do some damage, and yeah, you wouldn't rule out them pinching their first title either.
1: And the last team, then we should cover them all. The Brisbane Heat. How do you see them going?
0: really disappointing start to the year for me to have such power at the top the way they batted in that first game against the Strikers was absolutely crazy it was as if they were playing a 10-10 game, I think they were 9 for 100 runs, they were never going to win from that stage on and you know, then James Pattinson goes to a wedding for the second game and they go down to the Hobart Hurricanes so I think they'll bounce back, I think they've got too much too much firepower at the top with the bat and um, Majeev's a really good mystery spinner and, and with, with a searing pace to Pattinson, they've got a little bit more investment in the ball this year and previous years they've been too bad focused. I've been disappointed about their zero two but I think they've got too much talent to, to stay down the bottom of the ladder. I think they'll I think they'll get on a bit of a run at some station. We'll probably be you know, if they're not in the finals they're gonna be just outside it. I think they're they're in the mix as
1: well. It's funny for a team that has such a strong home ground, they have big crowds, power at the top, they haven't quite been the high achievers in the big bash that you would have thought. Uh, just that Pattinson wedding really messed up my super coach team. Really disappointed. <laughs> what sort of commitment is that?
0: <laughs> Shades and Kevin Peterson used to skip over Christmas every year and miss one or two stars games. <laughs> yeah, that was
1: silly. I mean, if you either play or you don't play. I mean, God, anyway. Um, all right, before I let you go, Sam, just a couple, I want to get your take on two things. Uh, I just think one thing that I've noticed this big bash is that there's a little bit thin on the overseas stars and somehow I think perhaps they should start letting a few more international players into the squads to allow a bit more influx of overseas talent?
0: Oh, I actually couldn't disagree more there. I, I think we're we're really stretched at the moment. Given given how long the tournament is and given how low the salary cap is, we just can't attract that star talent from overseas. I think anyone extra we brought in would sort of be B and C, grade names, they're they're not going to be the draw cards. I think we need to go the other way. I think to get good international talent, we need to really, really invest in the salary cap, lift it up a lot more, maybe look at less games than the 14 if we want that good talent. Because you you look at Steve Smith, who was about to play in the UAE League, which fell over at the last minute in December. He was going to take home $400,000 or just under it for four games. Now, an overseas player in the big bash, well, you know, they might make a, a couple of hundred grand for 14 games and three months' work. We're just, we're just not going to attract that talent while we're paying out of whack. I mean, why would you, why would you take half the money for three times the work when you can go to Bangladesh at the same time or or to Pakistan or to the UAE if that gets up next year and make more money? So, yeah, I think the way the current tournament is structured, I, I think we're we're, we're going to miss out on on these big names again and again. You look. In previous years, we've had you know Murali and Chris Gull at the Renegades and KP at, at the Stars and whatnot. We just don't have that star power anymore because we can't attract it. Yes,
1: yeah, so I agree with you. They need to do something about the salary cap to try and attract these players. And mm. I'm gathering from that you, you're not a fan of the 14-game competition. You think it's too much?
0: Uh, I think I'll, uh, I'll hold judgment on that for the moment. I've certainly got reservations. I think you know we had a really good thing and we've tinkered with it. I can understand why. I know CA wants sort of you know cricket to be the number one sport in February as well. They they felt uh, certainly in my state that AFLW and the AFL was was creeping onto their territory there. I know I'm not allowed to talk about footy, so I'll rub that in and time right now. But yeah, it's a wait, it's a wait and see for me. Oh, I can understand why they did it, but no, I'm certainly not sold on it just yet.
1: And what's your gut feeling about how the Victorian crowds will respond to the Big Bash, sort of come late January, early Feb, you know, those last home games? Do you, do you think the Stars and the Renegades will be able to get crowds to go to the games?
0: Oh, I think the concern... Uh, in Melbourne right now is we're not really looking past the January 1 derby between the Stars and the Renegades at the MCG. This probably put the Big Bash on the map a few years ago when they got 80,000 in. You know, that was a bit of a, a perfect storm that year. If the Stars do lose to the Texas tonight and they go into that game 0-3, and three, I think that's going to really hurt their, their one marquee game for the summer. Uh, the Renegades have done the right thing by them. They're 2 zips But winning form is good form. And to create some excitement around that game and, and get that, that one big crowd into the Summer, I think we need the stars to, to, to win tonight. otherwise thats going that's the one which we really bank on um, to, to lift the numbers, really for the whole tournament. So all eyes are on that crowd for me. If that underachieves, then yeah, I really think it's going to be a long summer attendance-wise.
1: Well, it's a big call, Sammy. Well, I'm going to now go and prepare for tonight's Sixers-Stars game. I'm heading to the ground, Sam, so I'll be there keeping an eye on things. So hopefully we'll see a great game. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Anytime. Enjoy the cricket tonight.
1: That was Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne. All right, so after the break, we're going to be joined by Tom Supercoach Sangster for a full Supercoach update. But just remember... If you can rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on, that would be much appreciated. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Oz cricket Pod. that's AUSCricketPod at gmail.com. You can also find me on my website, com, so you can email me through that site. All right, we're going to take a quick break, then I'll be back with Tom Sankster.
0: And that's been his whole career. He's in my super coach team. Come on. Come on, Sad. <laughs> another oh, another one. High. It'll test the bounds, you know. And it's six. all the way.
2: Six. For an instant there. I thought it was straight no. up in the air. Oh. Six is from the moment it left the stick.
1: Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. And I'm a little bit shy about having Tom Sankster back on the show after talking up a big game about my super coach. Tom, I'm languishing down the bottom of our super coach league.
2: Yeah, what's happened to men as mad men? What, what has happened?
1: I'm not sure, but I'm third from the bottom in the Fox Sports Experts League. Uh, the only people blame me, I think, are Howie and maybe Andrew Simon. So I'm struggling.
2: <laughs> well, I can say I had a look at your team before. You're ranked thirty five thousand out of about eighty thousand, so you're in the top half.
1: Oh, thanks, Tommy. So, listeners, I've got Tommy on the podcast because we just want to update you on all the Super Coach news since the beginning. There's been some changes to rosters and. Tommy, if you're a super coach player, it's time to sort of look at your team now and think, what changes do I need to make?
2: Yeah, well, we've got a couple of big rounds coming up. This round, uh, we've got the we've got the strikers and the Heat on the bye. And those two teams were teams that you would heavily target coming in, given that they had some doubles in the week before. So getting a full team on the park this week is going to be tough for a lot of super coaches.
1: Now, Tom... What about big injury news or roster changes? I know that the English quick Timor Mills has now been ruled out of the competition who he might have featured in a few Super Coach teams.
2: Yeah, he was actually at a really good price and he had the double coming up this week. So it would have been a popular purchase, but unfortunately out to the tournament. It's been... A pr- uh, the the Supercoach gods have been pretty kind to us. There haven't been too many injuries, which is good news. But there's certainly been... A few shocks in the squad. It's great to see Jack Edwards opening the batting for the Sixes. Josh Filipe getting the gloves ahead of Peter Neville. Two real um, good super coach cheapy targets coming into the season.
1: Mate, Tommy, you were right on top of that news about Filipe getting the gloves.
2: Yeah, I had the I had the mail on I had the mail on that. I had good mail. I, I, I knew it was going to happen. So. I pumped him up as a super coach by uh, and same with Jack Edwards opening.
1: Yeah, mate, good good sources. Uh, my understanding was Philippe was promised the gloves when he was going to move over here. That was sort of what lured him over to the sixes. So it's a big call to leave out Peter Neville, who's an experienced gloveman, uh, experienced cricketer, and go for the youngster.
2: It is, it is. It's a big move, but T20 is definitely not his format. The averages in the, in the early teens with the bats just doesn't have the power to, to in the batting department. Obviously, his keeping's right up there with the best in the country, but Philippa has some serious talent with the bat. And as I said on the podcast uh, last week, Shane Warne reckons he could be playing for Australia within the
1: next 12 months. Yeah, he looked good the other night. Uh, another sort of thing that I noticed for my super coach team and we flagged is that Brendan McCullum was moved out of the opening spot, taking him out of the Bash Brothers Union and instead Max Bryant and Chris Linn are opening.
2: Yeah, the, the Bash Brother and the baby Bash Brother opening the batting. With McCullum at three, it's a big call, cool, but you picked it on our podcast uh, last week where you picked... McCallum as being a flop. He really has been. He's he just he, he's getting he's getting on. This could be his last could be his last year on this T twenty international circuit.
1: All right, so now let's look at the Australian Test team selections, what effect they have on your Supercoach team. I noticed that Peter Hanscom's come back um, and he's available for the Melbourne Stars in their next game. The only other one, I guess, to keep an eye on is Peter Siddle, who's been the 12th man for the Aussies. I don't think he's available for the Strikers right at the moment. But, you know, whatever Australia does with their Sydney test team could see Siddle head back to the Strikers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and Hanscom is a big one coming into this round, given that we don't know if he's going to take the gloves or not. Uh, Super coaches probably would prefer that he does take the gloves Because that means more chances for catches and stumpings Ben Dunk's been doing a decent job And he's he's at a decent price Peter Hanscom also at cheapy price So you've got two decent options there Um, But a lot hinges on who does take the gloves In the match against the Sixers
1: Yeah, and uh, any players that you've sort of noticed That have been particularly well performed so far?
2: Oh, well, Daniel Sams has been the revelation of the tournament without a doubt. He's bowling all his four overs, uh, taking wickets and then playing that sort of floating, Ben Cutting-style role with the bat. And he he honestly hits it as far as anyone in the country. And I'd be very surprised if he doesn't play for Australia in either T20s or even ODIs in the
1: next 12 months. That's a huge call on Sams. He was very impressive in the Thunders' um, Christmas Eve game against the Sixers where he he just came out and smoked a few big sixes, looked in great form. And I guess we always knew he was a good bowling talent, Sams, and we knew he could hit the ball, but he hadn't really shown it at this level before. So you're right, he's a great value buy because you're getting runs and wickets.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The only problem is he's going so well that he's, Prices increase the most of any player in Supercoach. So you're looking at about 200K at the moment, where well, you could have got him about 130 at the start. So the early bird gets the worm on this one. And I, Trent Copeland uh, wrote an article for us at the start of the year, and he picked Daniel Sands as the number one youngster to watch this year. So he's absolutely laughing. Picking him up for 130, he's now worth 200K.
1: Yeah, and another one that's done pretty well is Darcy Short. Yeah, Before the yeah. tournament, he was sort of part of a fire sale. Everyone seemed to be selling Short, but he started well, and I just think when he faces these attacks that aren't international standard, Darcy Short can capitalise.
2: Yep, I agree, and he absolutely loves it at, uh, in Hobart as well. That deck just suits him perfectly. Um, so he is he's the most precious player this round, given that the Hurricanes are on a double. They've got two games with the Thunder and the Scorchers.
1: A spinner that sort of flew under the radar is the thunder-leggy John O'Cook. He did well against the Sixers, taking one for 17 in four overs. And, you know, spinners are just proving to be huge point scorers in Supercoach.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. They always are. Steve O'Keefe is doing really well, too. Rashid Khan, of course, always does well. In is what wins in T20, and that's definitely reflected in the Supercoach score this year.
1: And a quick bowler, I think, that also you'd be silly not to look at, is Jai Richardson. He took three wickets, uh, I think three for seven, uh, for the Scorchers against the Strikers on Boxing Day. But he looks in good form. He's bowling quick. He's getting wickets. And it just seems to me, if you can find someone that's going to get you two or three wickets a game. you just one step ahead of you, the game in your super coach team.
2: Yeah, I love Jai Richardson. He came in, in my opinion, as the form bowler, well, form domestic bowler in the country coming into this tournament because his, his Sheffield Shield form has been absolutely brilliant. But then he got dropped for the first game. Didn't, didn't play because they went with the spinner. They brought him back straight away. And that pitch over in um, Perth suits him perfectly. As it does Jason Berendorf. And those two along with Coulter Nile will be near impossible to play on that pitch, particularly if they keep it green like they did last night.
1: Team selections are one thing that's proving my undoing in the super coach so far that I mean, the coaches do strange things. You know, there's someone might have a niggle that you're not aware of and he might perform well in a game. I think James Pattinson bowled really well in the first heat game and then missed the second one. So you know it does he know favours when you're trying to pick your 11
2: yeah it's a, it's a lot harder to get your hands on that sort of injury news than it is with NRL or AFL Supercoach, where there are a lot of reporters chasing that news whereas when it comes to cricket most of the cricket reporters are at the test matches and then you've only got troops and drabs who can actually go to the go to the actual games and it's it's just hard to chase that sort of news this style of super coach, um, but as it gets bigger and bigger, hopefully uh, people will be able to commit more resources to chasing that sort of information.
1: Yeah, I've been trying to go to all the Sydney Big Bash games, and we'll try all summer. And I'm doing a thing, Tommy, where I sort of take my roving recorder and try and talk to players on the yes. field afterwards. And you know, you get some news there. You get talking to people, but as you say. The, the coaches know they keep a lot of this stuff close to their chest as well because they want the surprise factor for the opposition.
2: Yep, yep, exactly. It's Yeah, I mean, it's the same in any sport. If you can keep a secret from the opposition, then then you do it.
1: Now, have you noticed any flops around the tournament, any big players that either haven't been picked or aren't performing well?
2: I have to say some of the England guys really have fallen a bit short. Some of them have gone well, uh, but a couple have fallen short. Joe Denley is number one on the list for me. A couple of failures in a row. He, he got a bowl the other night as well, didn't do too much. Joe Root hasn't done much at all. Dave Willey, all, these all seem to be English guys who aren't going too well. Colin Ingram hasn't really got started yet, the South African import at the Strikers. And Dwayne Bravo, yet to do anything at his club, the Stars. So it's the imports that have been letting super coaches down so far, despite the big price tags.
1: Yeah, I think Ben Dunks, another one to watch for with the Stars. He's he's had a couple of failures to start, had a rough year last year. He's got like a five-year contract with the Stars. So Ben Dunks, one to keep an eye on. He needs to sort of start performing, otherwise he might find himself on the sidelines. The other one who's actually been a good buy for me is, so this is, might be a cheapie for you out there, is O' Col- uh, Wells from the Strikers. He's not too expensive, but a pretty handy t- T20 player.
2: Yeah, well, with the, the top order failing so often this year, he's actually getting quite a bit of time at the, at the crease. Whereas last year they had and Carey and Travis Head, Absolutely killing them every round, and John O' Wells barely got to bat. But those guys got skittled last night um, on that green deck, and Wells got a decent chance to go out and score
1: some runs. And another one that might be worth keeping an eye on is Nick Larkin, who's been who was picked up late yeah. by the Melbourne Stars. He scored two Shield centuries this year. And uh, when I was commentating him on the Shield game, he's got this really good sort of slog sweep that he plays off the front foot. So I reckon he could do some damage in the, the rest of the company. He started off pretty well. So Nick Larkin might be a, another good cheapy.
2: I 100% agree. He's already gone up in price a lot uh, because he has been in such great form. I had him pinned mostly as a long-form cricketer, and he's been in, in great form in the Sheffield Shield. Didn't realise he was this good at T20s. But they're batting him right near the top of the order, and anyone who's batting in the top three, and he's priced at around that seventy k mark, you have to consider.
1: Absolutely, and I guess we're, we're sort of in between rounds now as we record this. So if you should be looking at your teams as we speak, really, and and heading into tonight's game and try and make a few changes.
2: Yep, it's a huge round, round three. You've got the strikers and the heat on the buy, so definitely look out for that and the Hurricanes and the Sixers on the double. So interesting round with two doubles and two buys. so it's going to take a lot of juggling to get a decent team on the park.
1: Yeah, Lloyd Pope hasn't looked too flash hot for the Sixers yet, has he?
2: No, unfortunately he hasn't. Steve O'Keefe's been bowling really well for them, though. Interesting to see what they do in their spinning department from here on because Dan Falbons has played the game as well. Um, so they've got they've got three sort of real frontline spinners who don't really bat. Um, interesting to see what they do. Obviously they can't drop Steve O'Keefe given what he's done, what he did in that first game.
1: All right, so just before we go, Tommy, I just wanna sort of quickly look at our Fox Sports Experts League. So yes. leading the way, Isha Gua is on top of our yes. league with one thousand nine hundred and seven points. Well, she's pretty crash hot on the commentary, she's also pretty good at the uh, super coach by the looks of it, or do you do these teams for them?
0: No, no,
2: uh, she does her team 100% just herself, I'm in contact with her, she's always asking for advice, but she does her team herself she's on fire, Mel Jones is on fire as well, and Kerry O'Keefe is also on fire he's ranked about 2,000 out of 80,000 so coming in he's, he's a bloke who never really that he do do supercoach. He's not sort of in the the target demographic for supercoach in terms of the age group, but he's absolutely loving it, and his team's on fire.
1: Now I've got just in front of me, so I'm on in twelfth position on our table. But just ahead of me, Mark was two spots ahead of me. Shane Warns in eighth spot, about three hundred points ahead of me. So I'm eyeing up a big round three. To sort of storm up the ladder. And you mentioned Mel Jones before. She gave us a shout out on Twitter that she's been using this podcast for some research purposes for oh. her supercoach team. So it's certainly working out because she's in the top, well, she's in the top 6,000 of all players.
2: Yep, yeah, she's absolutely on fire. There's a whole bunch of people in that league who are doing really well. Mike Hussey, who is all over AFL supercoach, so, and, and he's all over Supercoach Big Bash as well, loves the tactics. He's ranked three thousand out of 80,000. But he captained Colin Ingram last round who had two failures. If he captained Rashid Khan, like most people did, he could seriously be leading super Coach right now.
1: Well, Tom, you've given me lots to think about with my super Coach team. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, hopefully I'll be catching you on this ladder pretty soon. I can feel a couple of strong rounds ahead for me. I've got about 500 points to make up, so I've got to put my head down and start thinking.
2: Yeah, you're going to have to take a few risks, I think.
1: Well, Tommy, take care and we'll speak uh, in the new year about Supercoach. Yep, catch you then. Thanks, Menace. Well, that's it, listeners, for another episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Great to get a big bash rap with Sam Landsberger and a super coach update with Tom Sankster. In the next episode of the show, it's going to be a full deep dive into the Boxing Day test match. So stay tuned for that one. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. We'll be back soon with another podcast.